can I call on uh, Georgina to read us the word of God this morning, the, the, the reading of the word, before we hear the word of God being preached by uh, Uncle Terry. The reading today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 6 to 12, and this is the NIV version. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is the word of the God of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Today we are continuing in the series, uh, The Ripple Effect, which is about how the gospel affects our lives and sharing the gospel with others. Today's focus will be on relationships, the idea being that if my life reflects Christ, it will lead to deeper conversations and meaningful relationships. But whether you're sharing the gospel or doing something else for the Lord, I hope today that you will see that God enables believers to live lives motivated and empowered by him. One old preacher that I used to hear and love to quote says this, he is the dynamic of his own demands, the cause of his own effect. If you can get your brain around that, it simply means that whatever God wants you to do, he will empower you to do it if you're available to him. And whatever the outcome, that's his responsibility. So in what way has God enabled us to live the Christian life and to witness to others or do whatever God calls us to do? <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to, I call these the number of things. I'm going to call them new things. If you've been on the road for a while, they may not be new to you, but it's good to be encouraged and to remember them and go over them again. Um, Paul is an excellent example of a new thing. And in our reading today, we're looking at verses 7 and 8 in particular, he says this, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Here we see someone who's very loving, caring, living among the Thessalonians and just enjoying their company. But that's a different Paul. When you go back, it's the same person, but when you go back in time, in the book of Acts chapter 9, I love the way the authorised version puts it. It says this, Breathing threatenings and murder will slaughter. 
He went to the high priest in Jerusalem to obtain letters to the synagogues in Damascus to go there. And if he found anyone who was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, he had authority to bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem. This is a totally different person. We don't know what would happen to them when they brought back to Jerusalem, but bearing in mind that Paul was a agreeing or a consenting witness to the stoning of Stephen earlier on when he was a younger person, it's fair to say that they might have faced the same fate. So here is someone who wants to eradicate Christianity from the face of the earth, and yet we see him here, loving, caring, preaching the gospel and sharing his lives with the Thessalonians. So what happened? Well, the Bible says what happened is a mystery. And in Colossians it says this, Paul's been given the mystery to reveal it to the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, and that, that changed him. It changed you if you're a believer. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He also mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 when he says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I don't know about you, but if you, uh, I didn't become a Christian until I was about 25. And I read this verse and thought, well, what's changed? My external circumstances were much the same as I'd always had been. I still had to go to work, still had to pay the bills, still had to do the normal stuff you do every day. But what I discovered shortly afterwards is that God had changed my heart and I was going in a different direction with my desires, my intentions and as someone has said, the things I once loved I now hate and the things I once hated I now love. God made a change in my life and like Paul, it wasn't because he turned over a new leaf. He didn't say to himself, I better straighten up a bit here. Better get my act together. Uh, maybe it was New Year. He'd do a New Year's re resolution and try and be kind to people. This is something that God did. He turned his life around 180 degrees. And if you become a Christian, then you'll know that experience that God has changed your heart. And whether or not, you know, if you're a young believer, for example, if you came to know the Lord as a young person, your conversion might not be dramatic, but as like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, you're on the journey to the celestial city and occasionally you will come to a fork in the road. You will want to go the right way to the celestial city. You may deviate, but you'll not be happy until you get back on that road to the celestial city. God gives you a new heart, gives you a new direction and you become a new creation. That's the first new thing. The second new thing is you get a new purpose in life. Uh, you, you may be familiar with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's commonly quoted. We don't often hear much about the following verse, which says, We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus under good works, but God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Now, if God, God being a master craftsman, if he makes something for a purpose, you can guarantee it's fitted for that purpose. And when you look at your life, God has given you good works that you should do, that he's prepared beforehand, you should walk in them. Fortunately, he didn't spell out those good works. There's not a list of them. Otherwise, we'd be tempted to just tick them off and base our Christianity on, look what I've done, look what I've achieved. And in fact, it's probably just as well we don't get a list of those good works because we might be daunted by some of them uh, that happen in our lives. But he did tell us about one thing, and maybe others, but this one in particular. It comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, in the very following verse to where he talks about being a new creation. And it says this, God has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That simply means that you have the opportunity as believers to reconcile people who are lost back to their God by witnessing, by sharing your life, by things just happening in our lives, just small things often that God uses. So that's the second thing, a new purpose in life. Third thing, new motivation. I reckon this is one of the most comforting verses in the scripture. For it is God who works in you. Second, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It really means this, New Living Testament puts it this way, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. New creation people will do what God wants willingly. You will want to do what God wants you to do. That's the amazing truth of that verse. When God works in your life, as long as you continue walking with him, he will work through you to accomplish his purpose and you'll enjoy doing what you want, what he wants you to do. It might be difficult at times. You might maybe wish you were somewhere else, but you will still be there wanting to do what God wants you to do. So a new motivation. There's also a new normality, what I've called a new normality. In uh, Matthew 25, there are a number of parables but there's one there that deals with end times and Jesus is on the throne and he's judging the nations and it says that he separates them as a shepherd would separate sheep from goats and he turns to those on his right hand and says come you are blessed of my father take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. Now the thing about those, those statements is that the hearers didn't have a clue what he was talking about. They said, when, when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink or hungry and feed you? They weren't conscious of doing the will of God or ministering to God in what they were doing. Now, these are kind of acts of charity. 
but nevertheless obviously commendable in God's sight because he cites them particularly in this parable. Um, was it St. Francis of Assisi, I think, is it reputed to have said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. You've probably heard that before. Um, Alvin J. Schmidt, I'm never going to forget that name. <laughs> Alvin J. Schmidt has a book called How Christianity Changed the World. And in it he has a chapter with the heading Compassion is a Christian Innovation. And it is. Uh, before Christianity came on the scene, there were no charities. Christianity is responsible for charities from the Red Cross to the RSPCA, from homes for the aged to hospitals, from education to everybody to whatever, you name it. We take it for granted these days, but all these things, you know, abolition of slavery, Christians are responsible for that. Christianity changed the world, and it came through compassionate Christians sharing their lives with each other, with other people. And compassionate were outworking, you know, they were doing what Christians normally do. They were commended for doing what Christians normally do. And that's an opportunity to preach the gospel. It's an opportunity to open up relationships, to give an opportunity to speak about God, and we've experienced that ourselves in our lives through acts of compassion. So, new creation, new heart, new direction, new purpose, new motivation, and new normality. And you didn't do any of that. God did that in you, if you give your life to him. Talk a bit about relationships. A couple of my friends, a married couple, went to the UK on a holiday and they came back and told us about this comedy TV program they'd seen on British television. And evidently it was about this minister who had a church and he did a pretty thorough job of preaching the gospel to them, preaching maybe about the whole gospel thing about what Christianity is all about and so on. And he was thoroughly ticked off when the same people came back the following Sunday. His attitude was, I've told you what it's all about. What are you here for? You know, are you thick or something? Don't you get it? But imagine this. <laughs> it raises the question. Why don't, we, why, don't Christ, why don't churches, say, for instance, Billabong, become an educational institution? You know, you can imagine this. You come every Sunday for a year and you get instructed. At the end of the year, you do an exam. And if you pass, you never need to come back again. All your Sundays are your own. And not only that, here's, here's the bonus of it. You don't even have to come back for refresher courses because the text never changes. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? You never get never to come again. 
So why wouldn't that work for Christianity? Well, it wouldn't work for two reasons, major reasons anyway. Thank you. First one is that Christianity is not just information. Some information is necessary, but revelation is essential. And revelation, coming to know God, will lead you into relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with other believers and relationship to people in the world. Um, Love is demonstrated by Christians. We just talked about compassion being a Christian innovation. But love is one of the characteristics of Christians. In fact, the Bible nails this, but it says, um, by this shall, shall everyone, know, everyone know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. And in our reading today, we see Paul showing love living amongst the Thessalonians, making himself vulnerable. In other words, uh, they could see him and see whether or not he was practising what he preached. And he was also making them feel vulnerable because they were in the midst of a big-time apostle and he was wanting to live in their homes and amongst them. What would he think about the way I live? And so people were being made vulnerable, sharing his life with them. They were sharing their lives with each other in the whole process. So being, make, vulnerability makes people um, in, feel inadequate. And so when it comes to sharing the gospel, some people think, well, I can't you know, quote reams of scripture or Whatever, and so I'm kind of been a bit inadequate to do this. But um, the interesting thing about this, and the amazing thing about all this, is that God—it's God's purpose—that you feel inadequate. In fact, He spells it out in Second Corinthians, where He says this: "But we have this treasure, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have this treasure in earthen vessels." that the excellency might be of God and not of us. The power might be of God and not of us. So God wants to work through you as an earthen vessel. Uh, you know, clay jars get chipped and broken and uh, the course of life, everybody, life is like that. If you haven't been chipped and broken in life and had some crisis in your life where you feel as though it's cracked my life, then God, that's part of God's doing because he says that um, he's going to work through clay jars. And Leonard Cohen has this song. Get it up on the board, there it is. The chorus of which is, um, goes like this. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. You can imagine in your life, as you go through life, you develop cracks, chips. Some get broken and have to be glued back together. 
But if you have your heart open to God, the light of God will get in through those cracks, through those events in your life. But here's the thing. Through those cracks, the light also gets out. You have the light of Christ in your life. Then you're one of the real people that have real things happening to them in the real life. Opportunities come your way for that light to shine through. Relating to people, relationships only really work when people are real. You get to know somebody, there's always a sort of standoffishness that um, we have with each other. But if you want to really get to know people, you've got to be real. So they can see your chips and cracks and God can work through you. Now all of this presupposes that we're walking with the Lord and keeping close to him. I'm going to finish off by talking about some of our experiences ourselves with cracks and chips and brokenness. And uh, we uh, used, we had, we had, we have had, we've got five children. Um, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and we lived in a uh, little three-bedroom, uh, had a sleep-out, well, it's a three-bedroom sleep-out house in Eastwick Park, you know, many, many years ago when the kids were small. And we had a number of friends who lived in the country, friends and relatives, and they used to just rock up. Nobody ever bothered to say, you know, can I come down for the weekend? They just turn up. And we used to, we enjoyed providing accommodation for them and somehow we managed to fit them into our little house. But on one occasion, two lots turned up on the same weekend. So fortunately one of them brought a caravan, so there's a bit of sleeping accommodation there, but we finished up, including our own family, with 17 people in this little, packed into this little three-bedroom house in East Vic Park. And you can imagine how how our chips and cracks were showing. Uh, <laughs> we rubbed shoulders with each other and, you know, bounced around the place. And, um, but in the midst of all of that, they knew we were, we were Christians and opportunities happened and we were able to speak about Christian things to them. Uh, one fellow in particular, he thought that uh, he was a Christian. After all, he uh, went to a Christian school, went to Scotch College. There you go, that's an, a uh, uniting church school, isn't it? <laughs> he must be a Christian. Um, and his family in the country, where they, town where they lived, or the country, they had a farm, they used to go to church occasionally in town. And uh, so he thought he was a Christian. And... Uh, Mainly, Glenis was talking to him about, uh, you know, needing to have a personal relationship with God. And so uh, we, we was going back and forth. He just didn't get it. As far as he concerned, he was a Christian. But he got up one morning and he said, uh, I think I've got it. Do you mean to say that when your children, I think he mentioned David and Tim, two boys we have, when they grow up, they're not necessarily going to be Christians unless they come to a personal relationship with God. And we said, duh. Uh, no, we didn't. We said, uh, <laughs> we said uh, yeah, 
That's right. Well, subsequent to that, we, we actually visited him on the farm. Uh, it happened to be Easter, Easter break. We went up there and uh, we said, let's, let's go to church. And so they decided to come to church. We all packed into this Holden Kingswood we had and we somehow finished up in town. <laughs> uh, we had a flat tyre on the way in. We probably had too many people on board. But that was interesting because a lot of the people he knew in the, in the town, obviously, he'd been there most of his life, all of his life. And uh, the church that we were going to, he'd been spending his life criticising them because they were that other mob, you know. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so it was a little bit difficult for him to come to church, but he came and uh, it was an Easter service and it evidently spoke to him. We only found this out when he rang him the other day and said, Alan, how did you come to the Lord? And he told us about it. And so he said, well, that particular occasion, God spoke to me. And the next week, he went to church. We weren't there. We'd gone back home. He went to church and went to the pastor and said, I'm in. God had spoken to him. He's a Christian today. He's one of the oldest in the church up there. So all I'm telling you this for is that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of being an earthen vessel and life's problems and trials, God can work. Um, we also had um, another occasion where <clears throat> a family was with us, or at least the mother had to go to hospital. She had a crisis in her life and she was taken to hospital and we were asked to look after the kids. I had three children. They came to our home and um, we didn't particularly... We knew that this, the, eldest of the child, eldest child was probably about nine or something. She was quite traumatic. As far as she was concerned, she'd seen her mother go off in an ambulance and didn't know whether she'd ever see her again. And uh, <clears throat> we... We're just getting on with our lives and, you know, trying to get these kids off to school and <clears throat> all that sort of thing. Recently, she sent Lennis an email thanking her for having them, having cared for her and her siblings and just saying that because of the care that we showed them, she now devotes her life, her spare time her working in a working life to caring for children who have disrupted home lives. There's a whole lot more to that story. You can probably talk to Glennis about it. Here's the final thing on the lighter side. One of the kids that stayed with us, <coughs> little fella, is now a big fella. He's a policeman Married an American, he's a policeman in one of the big cities in America, senior police officer, got a very responsible job. And he rings us up occasionally, most times I hang up him because I think it's some sort of telemarketer, to see the num <laughs> number on the screen. <laughs> so he has to ring Glenn's mobile to get through. And we chat to him and uh, he's been out once or twice and he came to visit us on one occasion and we were talking about these old days when they used to all come and lob on us. And he said, uh, I love those times. 
you had those Asterix comics. Thank you. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we just thank you for your grace, your enabling for believers to accomplish your purposes. Thank you, Lord, that you are, in fact, the dynamic of your own demands and the cause of your own effects. We pray that you would lead us on as we seek to serve you in whatever ways we find ourselves, whatever status we find ourselves in, we ask that you will still ring the bells that still can ring. In Jesus' name, amen.